This is the Stories of Transformation podcast, and I'm your host, Bakta Shahadi. Each week I dive into deep conversations with distinguished guests who share their unique stories about how they overcame hardship, learned their craft, and found their purpose. These conversations are meant to expand perspectives and share voices of diverse identities. What's the danger of a single story? What misconceptions is the media perpetuating about people from the greater Middle East and North Africa? Are we on the precipice of a cultural shift by having people of color represented in film, television, and popular culture? These are some of the questions that Reza Aslan and Mahid Tosi unpack in this episode of Stories of Transformation. Together, Reza and Mahed, under the umbrella of their entertainment brand, Boom Gen Studios, describe themselves as a storytelling factory and audience engagement outfit whose primary goal is to support ideas by and for the peoples of the Middle East, Central, South Asia, and North Africa. After more than a decade of perseverance, they've now joined forces with CBS as executive producers to launch their new comedy sitcom, The United States of Al. This sitcom tells the story of an Afghan interpreter and a Marine who bring their intimate relationship from the battlefield in Afghanistan to rural Ohio. This sitcom will make you laugh, cry, and reconsider all the things that you think you may have already known about the people of Afghanistan. For those that know me, this story is near and dear to my heart as I've personally served as a combat interpreter in Afghanistan with the Marines for the better part of three years. That experience was foundational to my understanding of what war does to a person, a community, and a society. I'm delighted that the United States of Al is highlighting all of the men and women who served in the war in Afghanistan, in particular, all the interpreters who made the ultimate sacrifice, and to no fault of their own, have been forgotten in this war. The United States of Al premieres on April 1st at 8.30 p.m. on CBS. Make sure to tune in. I'm sure you'll learn something new. Okay, without further ado, I bring you Reza Aslan and Mahed Tosi. Reza Aslan and Mahed Tosi, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? We're good, man. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited to be speaking to the both of you simultaneously. This should be an interesting conversation. But I'd like to get started by asking an important yet fundamental question. How would you, in your own words, kind of define who you are? All right, you go first, Mahad. (laughs) Um, How do I define who I am? I'm I'm a human. It's a good start. I'm a dad. I'm an artist. And I have learned the dance of struggle by no choice of my own. Uh, and I've gotten good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can empathize. Um, thank you for sharing that. And uh, how about you, Reza? What do you think? Uh, let's see. I suppose I, I too am human. Just want to get that out there, clear the air. There's some you know, question about it online, whether that is the case or not. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, father and a husband. It's it's funny, like I always thought of myself, you know, first and foremost, at least theoretically, I would always say like, first and foremost, a, a father and a husband. But this pandemic and quarantine has just made that so real and present to me that it's like, I almost have stopped caring about anything else, really. And then I guess, professionally speaking, I'm a storyteller. I think that's kind of how I think about it first and foremost, whether I'm writing books or, you know, doing TV or podcasts or whatever the case may be. It doesn't really matter the platform or the genre. I love stories and I love reading them and telling them. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I think of myself as a storyteller. That's great, gentlemen. Thank you for that. 
And so you both run BoomGen Studios, which seeks to change and transform the perceptions that people here in the United States and the West have of people from the greater Middle East. And so how did you two meet first and foremost? And then how did you come to this conclusion that this was something that you wanted to do together? What's your origin story in terms of how you both met? So we met, um, I got a call, I was making a film in 2015. And I got a call from this American guy who had moved to the Middle East with his wife. He'd come from an ad background and had decided that he wanted to post 9-11, like heal the divide, if you would. That was a big thing at the time, right? Healing that divide, bridging the gap. And they had set up a company in Dubai uh, who had just finished doing the production work for Syriana. He had come on board to set up their documentary division. And I'd worked as a conflict zone cinematographer for a number of years at the time and worked in the region. And he said, hey, you know, we, you know, you're interested in directing something that we can produce about sort of Iran and the region. And, and I said, you know, sure, what do you have in mind? And, you know, and they said, you know, we want to think sort of what you have in mind and go from there. And if you're up for collaboration, you know, we just met this guy named Reza Aslan in Egypt, who is really, really interesting and has a lot of interesting things to say. And I think he's really great uh, on camera and you guys should meet. And I'm like, oh, he's Iranian. I don't work with Iranians, you know. And they were like, funny, he said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so they set up the call and, and then we sort of, Reza and I spoke and it was very funny because we, you know, you work in that region and, and you're on the ground and you come back here and you're often sort of confronted with people who think they know what's going on, but they have such a bizarre perspective that is not rooted in any reality. This is not capture the nuance or the complexity of what's happening on the ground. Right, right, Mahad. So would it be fair to say then that you and Reza came to the realization that not only was this a missed opportunity, but this was to the detriment of the people from the greater Middle East, that the most harmful and dangerous stories were being told about them for them. Is that right? I think what we realized, we were so frustrated by the experience of having people, I don't know, Middle East explain to us what was going on. And the recognition, which was quite a new thing for me, like I had been involved in the news media, but not in, you know, sort of popular media. The revelation to me that the gatekeepers, the people in charge, didn't have a, any clue what they were doing or talking about, which is so obvious, right? <laughs> like now that you think about it, you're like, well, obviously they don't. Um, but this was my first experience. And yeah, my, my response to my head was, why don't we just become the gatekeepers then? Right. So the the working title of the documentary was The Boom Generation. And we just kind of put that together and created a company called Boom Gen, the purpose of which was to champion projects like this, which at the time had no champions. And, you know, just to kind of push it forward a little bit, it was excruciating for that first decade. I mean, it really was excruciating. Hmm. What do you mean? Well, you know, going around trying to tell people, hey, there's a market for projects, stories from this region, about this region that deal with, you know, the peoples and cultures of this region with integrity and with, you know, representation and with honesty. And, you know, we had to become economists and dive into all these numbers to kind of prove the 
the marketing power, the buying power. We had to go through all kinds of hoops to just get anyone to listen to us. In fact, for the first few years of our existence as a company, all we basically did was provide services to other people, other studios, other productions, you know, directors, filmmakers, people in TV who were dipping their toes in these kinds of stories. And we just kind of would show up and help them to and and you know when we think about it now is a kind of a brilliant maneuver on our part and something that I would definitely recommend other people who are trying similar endeavors do which is help other people be successful you know make them your proof of concept give them the tools that they need to succeed with this audience and then when you show up with your own story you know with your own production with your own project you have an argument to make about the fact that this is a story that can be successful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really important that you guys kind of share that perspective because, you know, I too work in the space of storytelling and what's really important is that if you don't tell your own stories, then somebody else will. And so I really appreciate you taking the reins to kind of tell a more complex and nuanced story about people from the greater Middle East to include Afghanistan. Just to quickly put a cap on what we were just talking about, I think it's really important to recognize that what we have to do as immigrants, as people of color, in order to find a moniker of success is not okay. I shouldn't have had to learn to become an economist and a publicist and a marketer and everything else so that I can just do my art and just so I can tell the stories that is part of my craft, right? I think it's really important to recognize that because we live in a world in which we pretend like, oh, it's a equal competitive marketplace in many ways. We quickly try to at least default to that mode. I mean, we're questioning it now, but the reality is that immigrants and people of color in this country, women, have to do so much more just so that they can play and they have so little opportunity to fail. We have to learn so much more to do the same thing and we fail, that's it, right? You screwed up, go and back to the end of the line where you watch your, your counterparts who fail upwards. They fail and then they get a bigger film. They make a crappy small film and then now they're doing a $100 million film in a studio. So what Reza and I did at the time that we did it was we said, you know what, we're not going to be okay with the status quo. We're not going to just sort of accept the reality and we took it on ourselves to do it. But not everybody can do that, first of all. Not everyone has the metal, not everyone has the capacity to do it and, and nor should they have to. And B... If you do do it, recognize that you are doing it for a bigger purpose and for a bigger cause, right? Because it becomes very difficult and lonely to push through, especially in this business, you know? So that, I think that was, a, that was an important part. And it was difficult those 10 years getting to United States of Al. You know, we have in the process of the last, what, 15 years have made every mistake, have had almost every success, have had almost every failure. We've hit every wall. You know, we've had the highs and we've had the lows that have immediately come afterwards in ways that were both predictable and unpredictable, surprising, etc. So we've learned a lot of lessons. 
And what's exciting about this project is that we are coming at it at a place where we've learned so much and we're bringing all those tools and skills and anxieties and fears, knowing what can go wrong, knowing where the opportunities are that are lost, knowing uh, all of those things and bringing it into this process with an open heart, which I think both comes with time, age and wisdom. At the end of the day, um, this project is a dream come true. You know, we, we are, you know, both Reza and I grew up on sitcoms, you know. We understand that medium. It's, you know, we, we grew up in the 80s and then the 90s and, and, um, and sitcoms were king. And, and this was a language that reached a level of the populace that no other form reaches and can transform in the way that it can, can affect in the way that it can. So, so this has always been a goal. You know, we've, this is not the first time we've come close but this is the first time we're actually, we're now 8.30 p.m. on a Thursday night. Come on. <laughs> Come on. You know? No, and he's, look, um, Mahid's absolutely right because we have been trying to get a Muslim protagonist on television for like 15 years. And he's right. We've come very close. We came very close at ABC. We came very close at AMC. I will say the one thing that's different now is that I feel like in very slow ways, the industry and society in general has caught up to us in more ways than one, not just with regard to the subject matters that we're interested in, but also with regard to how we like to tell stories. You know, I mean, I always sort of joke about the fact that 10 years ago, 11 years ago, um, Mahir and I were developing projects meant to be experienced on multiple platforms at the same time and people would like just laugh us out of a room and now that's the standard right that's like nobody wants a single platform entertainment anymore they're like okay it's a tv show but what else is it you know and and so that's that's the story of us eval which is that dave getch and, and i have been friends for 15 years or so we always wanted to work together but we never could because He's been on one massively successful show after another. He went from Third Rock from The Sun, which ran for, I don't know, 30 years. And then he went from that to Big Bang Theory, which ran for another 30 years. Um, and so we never had a chance to work with each other. But, you know, he was always interested in in the kinds of stories that we we tell. And a couple of years ago, you know, Big Bang was coming around the end uh, of it, and he's like, I can finally start, you know, doing other things now. Let's work together. And I was like, Well, what are you, what are you thinking about? And he said, I have this idea. And we had, we'd had these conversations before. We said, I had this idea about. At the time, he was talking about an Iraqi translator. He was like, you know, all these U.S. troops, you know, worked with translators, and you know, we just kind of left them all behind. And wouldn't it be interesting to pursue the relationship between an Iraqi translator? And a soldier, a U.S. soldier, and he was, you know, he knew all about how, you know, Mahan and I are, are engaged in this project to use popular culture and media to transform perceptions, to change the way that people think about themselves and about the others. And he's like, I'd love for you guys to work on it. And I think the first thing that we said was, let's make it Afghanistan instead. And for a very simple reason, just because that war was still going, you know. I mean, yes, we still have some troops in Iraq, but 
the war in Afghanistan is still very much a real thing. It's still an ongoing thing. And we just thought, if we're going to do this, let's do it, right? Let's, let's not Let's use the sitcom genre to get very real and very serious. And then it was really funny because, you know, at that point, it just kind of snowballed on its own. We were having conversations and then we started thinking about what this thing would look like. And he brought on a writing partner of his from Big Bang, Maria Ferrari. And together, you know, the four of us just kind of worked on a very loose pilot script and they obviously had a very close relationship with Chuck Lorre from from Big Bang, and uh, and Maria was at, at Young Sheldon, which is the Big Bang spinoff, and so they knew that they could take this anywhere to CBS, you know, anywhere at Warner Brothers, anywhere at CBS, and it would be probably picked up. But they're like, well, we should probably start with Chuck since you know he's in the same building, and who knows, he might be into it. So they showed it to Chuck, and Chuck said. I love it. And that was kind of it. Once Chuck Lorre says, I love it, that's it. And so it was this incredible experience. Again, you just heard the hell that we went through for 15 years just to get anyone to listen to us. Chuck Lorre said, I love it. And like two weeks later, we had signed contracts and we were ready to go, I mean, which is insane. Um, yeah, ten, it was 10 days to announcement. <laughs> Well, that's great, guys. Congratulations, and um, super happy for you. And I think that's a really great segue to talk about your latest project, The United States of Al. So what's the premise of the show? The premise of the show is that it is uh, the relationship between a Marine Corps vet from the war in Afghanistan and his Afghan interpreter, the Awalmir or Al of the title of the show. Um, in the pilot, after many, many years of trying, the Marine has finally gotten the paperwork to get Al um, to the United States. As you may know, as most of your listeners may know, there's anywhere between 17 and 20,000, if not more, um, Afghan interpreters who were promised visas to themselves and their families in exchange for putting their lives at risk for U.S. soldiers um, in the war in Afghanistan, and they were almost all abandoned. And so this story is the story of, of one of them who gets to actually get out. And then he comes in and moves in with the vet and his family in, in the middle of Ohio. And, you know, what's beautiful about it is that even in America, he still continues to act as the Marine's interpreter. It's just that now he's kind of interpreting life for him. He's help, helping him you know, readjust to his life and fix his marriage. And it's a really beautiful bond that, the, that these two characters have. You know, they have saved each other's lives on multiple occasions over a decade of, of knowing each other. I mean, their, their brotherhood is closer than anything you can imagine. And seeing them no longer in the war zone of Afghanistan, but in the middle of Ohio and still having that dynamic at, at play where they're still essentially saving each other, you know, allows for a lot of really beautiful emotional moments that normally you don't get in the sitcom genre. I mean, let's be, let's be real for a minute. The sitcom is not the highest form <laughs> of art, okay? <laughs> but uh, like my head said, it is the most popular form of art. And if you want to do what we have set out as our mission to do, which is use storytelling to change 
the way that people think, it helps to be on, you know, CBS as opposed to, say, Hulu or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that's accurate. I think that's exactly right. I think it'd be great at this point to kind of talk about your sense of identity as Iranian Americans and how that may inform this sitcom or elements of this sitcom. Specifically, Mahad and I, you and I had a conversation about your time in Afghanistan. Could you talk about that experience and how that informs potentially this sitcom? You know, I spent a lot of time in a lot of different places and I was in Afghanistan and, you know, I'm Iranian, I'm from Khorasan. So, so just so put this out there, both my grandfathers, they're offsprings of Afghan brothers who migrated from Kabul to, to Mashhad. So I have it in my background and I've been there. But what, what, what shocked me when I went there, because I come from a country that has been through war and revolution, etc., and uses that war and revolution to justify why they're such assholes to each other and <laughs> to Afghanistan to actually see a more robust, healthy culture. Neighboring culture, one that is very familiar to me, but one that had far more resilience, you know, you know, you saw people get in a car accident in, in Tehran and they would beat the shit out of each other. And, you you know, and you'd see the same thing in Afghanistan. They're out there giving each other kisses and laughing about it. And, you know, and it was it was just shocking to me how kind and generous and tender and loving Afghan culture was. The experience and I went through all over the country. And so the idea of an interpreter who has had this camaraderie being lifted out of that region and that experience and plucked into America that I know which is cruel and unforgiving. Who doesn't care? <laughs> you know, it's like you got to pull yourself all your own bootstraps. You're here. This is as far as we're going to help you. You know, now you're on your own. Breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because it's just, that's just not the culture. It's heartbreaking. And what was lovely about this dynamic was that here was the best of America, you know, struggling to be the best of themselves you know, allowing sort of this character that represents what was the best of Afghanistan and seeing that messiness, you know, portrayed through comedy and this dynamic is lovely and beautiful. And I hope people will appreciate it. Yeah, no, that's really great. And so what's surfacing now for me is just kind of just curious to know about how you guys think about story itself, right? So what do you think is the transformational power of stories specifically? Meaning, how do we learn from other people's stories and what does that say about who we are? Well, just to get philosophical for a minute, stories are how we understand the world. That's been the case since we were stooped and hairy and living in caves, right? The first storytellers were shaman who would recreate the very nature of the universe simply by telling the story of it, who gave the community and identity by, you know, every year telling them who they were and where they came from. And, you know, 250,000 years later, it's pretty much the same, right? I mean, stories are how we understand who we are, where we fit in the world. Our politics is just storytelling. Religion is just storytelling. You know, stories, I think, sometimes get denigrated as, you know, something that's ephemeral, when in reality, everything else is ephemeral in comparison to stories. We're still telling stories that, you know, were originally told tens of thousands of years ago. Um, and we're just kind of recycling them and this time calling it Star Wars. The heroes are, right? Exactly. So 
the meaning of story, I think, is really profound. But we like to talk not just about stories, but about storytelling. You know, my head has this thing that I've always loved where he's like, storytelling is two words, right? There's the story, you got to get that part right, obviously. But there's also the telling, you know? I mean, the story is important, obviously, but who tells the story, how it's told, who it's told to, like those things are often ignored. Doesn't matter how good this or meaningful the story is if you can't communicate it properly. And so one of the things that we are, I would say, proudest of about just the way that we work, and especially when it comes to Al, is that who told this story was very important. It was like, okay, so we have a great story. We knew that. There was no question that the story was solid, you know, and one that's never been told before. But now the question was, is okay, but how do we tell it? And it was very important to us from the very beginning to get as many Afghans as possible in front of the camera, behind the camera, in the writer's room. It was important that we surrounded this project with Afghans and vets, right? People for whom this story was meaningful and deep and part of their identity because we knew that they were the ones who'd be able to tell it the best. Right, right. I like that. I like that differentiation that you made, where you break down the word storyteller into story and teller. There's the actual story, and then there's there's the person telling the story. Yeah, I really like that distinction. So, how do you kind of think about storytelling as it pertains to the Afghan Muslim identity in that sense, specifically as it pertains to, you know, how Afghans and Muslims are perceived in a post nine eleven world. What's really important with the show that I think this is a story obviously no one talks about because they're sexier things, you know, when you're talking about a new show, new primetime show, etc. there are shinier objects. But the shiny object for Reza and I by far is, look, we're, we've been around for a long time. Like when we started this thing, nobody was talking about diversity and representation, right? <laughs> like those words were not in our vernacular. We'd never heard them before. Suddenly you're like, oh, that's... Interesting. Where'd I come from? And, uh, but obviously it was a mission of our lives. You know, it was as storytellers, as artists, like trying to get to that. And for us, we've been at this for a long time. And so when we say representation, you know, we'd already seen, rep, you know, Afghans and Iranians and Arabs have been representing Afghans, Iranian Arabs for a long time as terrorists, right? Uh, why? Because the writers of those stories are not Afghans, Iranians, and Arabs. And and even the terrorists aren't represented properly because the writers are not Iranian, Afghans, and Arabs, etc. So for us, when we say representation, it's not about who's simply in front of the camera. We've seen that already. It's about who is writing the character, you know? And in Dave and Maria, we found amazing partners who we see eye to eye on. They're uh, amazingly sort of wonderful in their dedication to seeing this experiment unfold, not because we want to have people in the room that represent the characters that are on screen, but because we want to check some box or because we we're afraid of what people are going to say. No, because we think it just makes for better storytelling, right? It's going to make for a better show. And so 
We have a show about two friends, one, an interpreter who served with his unit in Afghanistan, uh, who's just come to the United States, and, and the other, a Marine combat veteran struggling to readjust to civilian life, all within a family. And the room is made up of, there's three Afghan writers, there is two veterans, there is one veteran spouse. Our showrunner's writer's assistant is Afghan. Our lead researcher is Afghan. And then we've got a comedy Jedi in there, in Andy. I mean, unbelievable. He's literally a comedy Jedi. I've never seen anything like it. And David Maria, who has so much experience, and then all led by Chuck, who, who needs no praise. It's, it's obvious what he can do. And this is an experiment to see, does this kind of representation and, uh, and this kind of, in, in the room, in the storytellers, you know, translate, you know, uh, we think it does. And we're excited to find out. Yeah. I think, I think the approach that you gentlemen are taking as it pertains to representation in front of and behind the camera is quite commendable. And I think it's fair. Um, at this point, there's no, there's no excuses, right? The talent's there. The people are there. There's no reason not to essentially have those voices and those minds come together to tell a more nuanced story that's fair and and more representative, right? So for my own kind of lived experience, I just want to say thank you. And especially because of, of the fact that you're bringing attention to the Afghan interpreter element of this sitcom, right? As somebody who had served in Afghanistan as a combat interpreter, for me, it's it's wonderful that this is the approach that you're taking. And so for that reason, I want to share your this message and this conversation with with my audience, you know, far and wide. And and I think it's really important. So as we kind of come to a close here, gentlemen, I'm just kind of curious, how would you go about kind of answering the question of what exactly is the impact that you want to make with this sitcom? What is the message that you want this sitcom to have for the world? One of the things that I that that I've been talking about is that we suffer from a condition in this culture. It's called it's called a narrative deficit disorder. That's what I call it, at least. We live in a society in which the stories that we tell about ourselves don't represent who we are. So we think we live in a different place than we actually do. Before COVID, because I think COVID brought us into hospitals and suddenly we realize our doctors and nurses are people of color, right? Uh, but before COVID, if you're a white person went to a hospital, you were like, what the hell happened? Who are all these brown and black people? And if you are a brown and black person watching a hospital show on television, you're like, who the hell are these white people? <laughs> you know, it's unbelievable. I've never seen so many white doctors in my life. And so... If you take this society-wide, it's a problem. It's a reason why we can't talk to each other. We cannot set a common goal. If you as a society can't say, hey, here's where we want to be, you don't have a common destination, you have discord, and you are trying to pull in different directions. And, And I truly believe that is because as storytellers, we have abandoned that role as healers of society, as people who are supposed to give people a unifying vision. Because we've bought into this nonsense of we're entertainers. The stories we tell are just meant to entertain. They don't have an impact. It's nonsense. It has an impact. It affects people. It changes people's minds. As Reza was saying, we wouldn't be human beings, this species, as successful as we have been if it wasn't for the fact that we discovered storytelling. 
We would have been eaten by that tiger, by that bear. We wouldn't have been able to tell our kids what that bear looks like and don't get eaten by it. And we wouldn't be here. Simple as that. And so by abandoning that position, we have allowed for this level of discord. And we have to solve this narrative deficit disorder that plays our culture and our country. And U.S. Aval is one project that is doing that. We need so much more that represents all aspects. What we're excited about is that, look, we've got a form in sitcom, comedy, and on a primetime time slot on a Thursday night on, on a network television to reach a lot of people, to essentially tell them to reimagine who they are and put themselves in a position of this family in interaction with this character. And, uh, and we think that's, good. That's, a, that's, a, that's a step in the right place, but it's by no means enough. Uh, and we need more of it. Yeah, and I would add to that, I would say, look, Mahir and I have never been small goal people. And so our goal for U.S. Aval is enormous. Number one, we want to transform the way that this country thinks about Muslims and people from this broad swath region. Number two, we want to literally affect American foreign policy towards interpreters, not just in Afghanistan, not just in Iraq, but across the fields of battle, you know, um, where the U.S. is engaged. We want to remind people, hey, we made a promise to tens of thousands of people and we have abandoned those people. We literally want to affect political change. We want to change the industry altogether. Never again do we want to see a show in which the writer's room doesn't look like the subject that you're writing about. You know, We want to create the model that every other show from here on out will actually follow. And we want to actually flood the entertainment industry with brown people, people of color, you know, people of, of this kind of background. And not just as actors, by the way. And not just as writers, <laughs> but as costume designers, as PAs, as directors. At, I mean, we don't have small goals, right? You know, we want to we want to use this show to change everything. Yeah, that's great. That's an really inspirational. Thank you, gentlemen, for um, for the work that you do for shedding light on this important subject, and for everybody that's listening. United States of Al is going to be premiering April 1st, so make sure to tune in. Thank you, Reza. Thank you, Mahad. Fantastic. Thank you, Bakhtash. Thank you. Thank you for having us. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, please share it far and wide. This podcast is made possible by a superb group of individuals. Specifically, this podcast was produced by Joe Ganjemi. Digital marketing by Catherine Ahn. Artwork by Mashida Hadi and theme music by Kais Esaud. You can find us online via Stories of Transformation on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we have an online community named the Stories of Transformation Group. In this group, we discuss topics related to the human condition. Please join us. We'd love your engagement. Thank you for your support, and see you next time.